in February 2001, there was a listing on eBay. I don't know if any of you use eBay, but here's what, it was, here's what was for sale. 20-year-old Seattle boy's soul. Hardly used. Mint condition. Just a few scratches. No warranty of the condition of my soul. eBay normally removes those kind of postings quickly, but that one slipped through the cracks. It was on for a whole day. Posted by Adam Bertel. Pictured himself in a t-shirt that said, I'm with stupid. Bidding started at five cents. Concluded at $400. Auction ended. A woman from Des Moines, Iowa bought the soul. Incidentally, her feedback rating was zero, meaning she didn't have any transactions with reputable buyers or what have you. Bertel said this. He said, I didn't, I didn't think she would be able to collect on my soul. It was never intended to be taken seriously. It was a joke. I was just bored, and I'm a geek. And when I'm bored, I go to the internet. Well, I know it was intended for a joke, but I still read that, and there was a certain part of me certain part of me that just cringed. I think it says something about the lighthearted attitude across the board of the value of a soul. It's a sobering reality. Many do not understand the value of a soul. And many... I believe, are too willing to make an exchange for their soul. And that's the title of the message this morning. An exchange for your soul. Maybe closer home, there's a scene that I remember well in Grenada. There was a man that was tending his garden. He did his garden well. It was a Sunday morning. Church started at 10. Many times you had time to go out and take a walk before service. And this Sunday morning, one of the missionaries had taken a walk before the service and met the man in his garden. And the man was showing off his, uh, I forget what it was, it was either beets or yams or something. He was showing them off. And he had no intentions of coming to worship. And the missionary said, nice, but don't trade the yam for your soul. And I remember that just left an impression, just that statement. Don't trade, you fill in the blank, for your soul. Mark chapter 8, 
Verse 34, I'm going to start reading. I'm going to suggest that this is maybe some of the most sober words of Jesus. The context is uh, he fed the 4,000. The Pharisees came seeking a sign. Back in verse 12, he sighs deeply within his spirit. Later in the chapter, he says, Who do you say I am to the disciples? And that's when Peter gave the amazing statement, Thou art the Christ. In other words, you're the anointed Messiah that the whole Old Testament pointed to. Incredible revelation by Peter and statement and declaration and confession. So Peter goes from a mountaintop of uh, naming the Messiah and then Jesus said, Who do you say I am? I'm sorry, uh, that's when Peter gave his, uh, the first question was, who do men say I am? And then he said, who do you say I am? That's when Peter gave his declaration. And then Peter, after the, the wonderful declaration, uh, Jesus goes on to, to talk about the suffering that he's going to endure. And then Peter, get this! Did you ever note that Peter took Jesus aside and rebuked him? That's in verse 32. Peter took him and began to rebuke Jesus. Now that's quite a, from a mountaintop to a valley, right? You're the Messiah. Five minutes later, I rebuke you. And Jesus in turn rebukes Peter. Look at verse 33. He rebuked Peter. And in essence, he rebukes Peter for satanic reasoning. And he basically says, thou savorest not the things of God, but man. In other words, you're thinking like a man. You're not thinking like God. And you know what I say? I say that's real easy to do. Real easy to do. Humanistic thinking. It is so wo woven in our culture. And I suggest and contend that it has woven its way deeply in modern Christianity. The whole idea of not liking suffering and not equating suffering to the Christian life. Well, that's the context. Now the text. And when he had, I mean, verse 34, when he called the people unto him with the disciples, also he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, the same shall save it. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory with his Father with the holy angels. That's the text. Somebody once told, I once heard, I don't know if it was told me directly that you should, before you preach a text, you should read it 40 times. Anybody do that? Before you teach a Sunday school, read it 40 times. I don't know if I heard that directly, but I remember vividly Brother Lester 
very early in my ministry, said, when you preach, read your text and read it and read it and read it and then open your commentary. Very good advice. It is, I, I want to tell you, something happens when you read the text and you read the text and you read the text. I did, uh, I probably did read it 40 times, but I don't read my text 40 times every time. But reading it and rereading it and rereading it and rereading it, it, it did something to me. And I just simply asked God to somehow, what he did in my heart, let's corporately catch it. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? There was a king named Charlemagne. You history buffs know him. He's right around 100, uh, right around the year of 1000 AD. He was the king of the Franks. He died. Uh, I, forget, I, didn't, I didn't write down the date of his, his death. And I don't know much about him. I remember reading him going through world history. Uh, very interesting, interesting uh, character. 180 years after he died, they opened his vault or tomb. And he had quite the royal, uh, I guess, I don't know if you call it a burial, if you just put him in a vault, but uh, he had quite a royal ado. And 100 year, 180 years later, they opened it up. And the, the riches and wealth were amazing. He was still on the throne, his skull, skeleton. The crown was still on the, his skull. There was quite a few riches that were supposedly in the tomb with him that he wanted. And I don't know if it's coincidence or I don't know if he asked for it. I don't know if he wanted it. I've read several accounts that kind of seem to bear witness that this is true. On his lap was a, probably not a Bible, it was long before the printing press, but a copy of the gospel. And his bony finger rested right on the text that I just read. I wonder if it was coincidence. I doubt if he asked for that. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the question I want you to face this morning. That's the question I face. It's not my question. It's not the disciples or apostles' question. It's Jesus' question. Actually, it's two questions. What is it going to profit if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Secondly, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'd like to divide the text into three points. First one, I'd just like to clarify the call. We're going to look at verse 34, maybe 35, and we're going to see the call of Jesus. And then we're going to look at the worth of a soul, and finally, the exchange for a soul. So, the clarifying the call, the worth of a soul, and an exchange for the soul. Clarifying the call. I, I read this over and over, and I know this is a very familiar text. I know it. I'm going to guess that it's very familiar. Probably most of us could, uh, at least for the most part, quote at 90%. Whosoever will come after me, 
There's three simple points that Jesus calls his followers to. Number one, deny self. Number two, take up your cross. And number three, follow. That's the call. And it's, it's really simple. And I, I guess what really hit me this week is I, I, I'm going to suggest that the gap between the real call to Christianity, to bona fide Christianity, and the nominal, I don't know how to put it into words, the nominal, half-hearted, easy-believism Christianity that, that we are bombarded with, the gap, the gap is just ever-increasing. And I think as a child of God, we do so well to take our Bibles and just, especially those red letters that you have if you have a red-letter Bible, the words of Jesus, read them over and over and over again. Picture him sitting beside you on a chair, personally addressing you. Jim, if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross, Jim. You can talk all about my cross. You can preach about my cross. You can do it every communion service. But I'm talking about your cross, Jim. That, that settles down. And then follow me. I don't know how to better describe denying yourself than, than uh, just a, a complete surrender. Just a complete surrender. Totally. I'm done. No more fight. I'm done. I ask myself, am I there? I ask you, are you there? Did you, did, you, did you deny self? And I know this is initial and progressive. There's no conversion without an initial denying self. You don't really understand the taking up your cross, but just denying yourself. That's what self-denial is. Complete surrender to who you, who you are, your Basically losing your identity as me, and now it's, it's, it's Jesus and following Jesus, denying self, taking up cross. And I, th I think that is identifying with the suffering of Jesus and willing to take the exact same road of suffering, your cross. Did you ever sing the song, The Old Rugged Cross? You know, yeah, we sang it often, but did you ever come to the line, To the old rugged cross, I will ever be true? You know what the next line is? Thank you. It, do, you ever, do you ever almost have to stop singing? You almost feel like you ought to hum? It's shame and, and reproach. I'll, I'll gladly bear it. The third clarification in the call is follow me. Do, do, do I, do you have day by day active obedience and modeling the life of Jesus? That's the call. I, re, this, this, I was pondering just what I just said and a song came to my mind that I didn't hear for years. I have it on cassette tape. And hey, 
He's digging out a cassette tape player. That's pretty ancient. Some of the young folks, you say, what? (laughs) It's called the Marks of the Cross. It goes like this. Uh, It almost gives me goosebumps. These days, shallow and feeble resolve abound. True devotion and passionate fervor are seldom found. But there are those who often feel they're all alone. Those of whose identities are known by the marks of the crucified son, praying, caring, loving, sharing. These are the marks of the cross. Giving, bearing, feeling, daring to lay down your life on the line, forgetting what you leave behind, willing to suffer the loss of the marks of the cross. Anybody familiar with it? Hard. Okay. I think we ought to sing that song sometime. Not this morning. I think, I think it's a hard song to sing because I sing along with the cassette player sometimes. I used to a lot with that song. I just love that song. It just gives me... Is that what the world sees in you and it sees in me? There's a cute little picture of George H.W. Bush sitting in a, in a classroom with an a eight-year-old boy helping him to read. His name was Herbert... No, I'm sorry, not Herbert. Anthony Henderson. This happened on March 11th, 1991. And the cute little dark-skinned boy looked up at President H.W. H. W. Bush and said, Are you really the president? And George said, Yeah, I'm the president. And I don't believe you're the president. And so he tried to convince him that he's the president. And he pulls out his wallet and he gets his license. He said, now read the name. George H.W. Bush. Nah. Pulls out his American Express card. And I think this is the picture that got all, that publicized. The American Express used it. And they're uh, advertising the American Express. Don't leave home without it and all that. But uh, there's a picture of of a little eight-year-old boy looking at the the license. And this is with a skeptical look. And George H.W. is, I'm the president. And I don't think he was convinced. Maybe this isn't a good illustration, but I, I contend that the world is looking at the church like the little boy looked at George H.W. And he just wasn't quite convinced by a little piece of paper. I think maybe the world has looked at the church too long. The world has looked at the church and their stance for divorce and remarriage. The world has looked at the church in in so many issues. And now it's the homosexual lifestyle. And I I don't know. I think they've seen a lot of compromise. my, My point is the call. That's... I want us to look at the call fair and square. Have you, did anybody feel like you lost your life to follow Jesus or did, did not much change? You know the story of the, the monkey in the zoo? The monkey got out of the zoo one day and he escaped and on his way out he saw, what was it, an apple? I tried to find the story. I remember hearing the story and I couldn't find the story. I don't know all the details but I just know he escaped and I know he reached in and got an apple. <laughs> you know, oh, on my way out, I have an apple. This is like better than best. 
Escape is great, but I got a treat. And he just couldn't get it out. And I'm told the monkeys won't let go. They just simply won't let go of something. And that monkey refused to let go of his little treat. And he forfeited his freedom because the zoo, he fought to get his hand out all night. And the zookeeper came in the morning and captured the monkey because he wouldn't let go. And I wonder how many times that, that I do the same thing. I don't know if I can, this is an illustration, but uh, maybe it'll get the point a little bit. Yeah. I tried this often, and it's, it's actually possible. I didn't give you too much time, but if you really get a hold of the threads and keep your, it, it's really, really difficult. But it, 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 I think it illustrates saving your life, hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, hanging on, and losing. But he that loses, let go. The same shall find it. What do you hang on to? What do you hang on? What do I hang on to? We'll come back to that at the exchange of the soul. My prayer is that we could, the world would see and we would model a life that is devoted to Jesus and the gospel. And the gospel. Look at verse 35. Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel. So, I mean, seriously, chew on that verse. I can only say one, a fraction of the depth of, that is in that verse. What does it mean to you and what does it mean to me? Whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel, you'll save it. But if you'll save it, you're going to lose it. It's a paradox. The worth of a soul. I'm going to talk about that just for just a brief, just very briefly. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says that the Lord God made man from the dust of the earth, breathed in his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul. So the breath of life, that means the eternal part of God, was breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. So really, uh, as simply as I can understand and explain it, that simply means you will spend somewhere forever and ever and ever and ever. The physical will go back to dust, but the inner part of you that God breathed, the breath of life, and man became a living soul, will never, never, never die. Folks, I have never doubted that, ever. Even in my years of rebellion and turning from God, I never doubted that I would always exist. I'm going to say that you didn't either. Oh, I know atheists do. I know that agnostics will, will, will make their statements. But my Bible says in Ecclesiastes verse three, chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity in their hearts. And my heart and my heart witnesses. It's true. It's true. It's true. 
And that is precisely why there is an aching and a longing from every person for the supernatural, for the spirit to be at rest. Because man is a living soul. So every person under the sound of my voice, as young as you are, know, know, your soul will never, ever die. Your soul, you, not your face, not your hands, not your what you see, you will either spend eternity with God in heaven, in bliss, in paradise, just the way it was supposed to be. Forever and ever and ever. Or your soul will spend eternity apart from God, tormented where the worm dies not, where the fire is not quenched, forever and ever and ever and ever. I never doubted that. And I'm going to suggest, based on, the, based on God's word, that nobody ever has. Because God has placed eternity in their hearts. Because of that, God has placed such a value in your soul. Because it's so permanent. Because it's so worth. God placed a price tag on your soul. He owns all things, but yet all things weren't enough to redeem your soul. He gave himself. He didn't use all his things. I think he probably could have, right? Well, maybe not. I'm not quite enough of a theologian to uh, think all that through. But God, placing such a value on redeeming the soul, decided that there's only one way to redeem the soul. And that's give himself, give his life, give his blood. Wow! You and me have a soul that is so worthwhile, it'll live forever, and it was redeemed by God. We're bought with a price. We're not our own, and we belong to God. Somebody said there's five questions you can ask to determine value. Number one, who made it? Is it GM or is it Toyota? Now I'm on touchy ground, right? But seriously, people ask the question, who made it? What is it? Before I'm going to pay an X amount of dollars, I want to know, what is it? What are we talking about? How, how long is it going to last? Durability, permanence is another big question. You know, we live in a throwaway age. Well, I don't know if our price, price reflects it, but uh, we're, we're very disposable. Is anybody interested in something that's going to last? I bought a refrigerator in 1990, and it's still going strong. Never touched it. Anybody interested in it? Durability. Lasting. Uniqueness. You ever been to a rare coin auction or a rare gun auction? Only one or two like it? Wow. Number three, the price tag also determines the value of it. What's it listed for? So you go through those questions. God made it. What is it? Made in the image of God, durability, permanence, it'll last forever, uniqueness, scarcity, only one, price, the blood of Jesus. What's, the point is simple, the value of your soul. 
And Jesus now kind of shifts and he goes to, uh, to the value, from the, the value of the soul, I guess to build on his point of the value of the soul, he asks the question about the net worth of, of the whole world and compares it to the soul. The question is, anybody interested in here in com- uh, gaining the whole world? You know, Alexander the Great probably came closer than many ever did. He conquered the then-known world, and then the story is told that he sat down and cried because there was nothing else to conquer. United Nations uh, uh, somehow concluded that the net worth of the world is $360 I know. I get lost after six or seven digits. That's 15 digits. Just cannot comprehend. So Jesus takes that and says, if you could gain it all, if you could gain everything there is, everything in the world, and lose your soul, the question is, what's the profit? There's none. No profit. None. The whole world, your soul, the worth of your soul. What should a man give? in exchange for his soul. Please let it sink in. Lastly, so we talked about the call, we talked about the worth. Lastly, exchange. Let's let's engage a little deeper in the text and let's all say it together. You're, You're there in the text? Can we just quote, let's do 36 and 37 together. 36 and 37. Somehow just let it really sink in. Ready? For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's the question mark. Does anybody want to dare to answer? That's the question that Jesus left. What will a man give? If I had the overhead, I'd put a picture of Judas up right now. And I'd say, what did he give? 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver for his soul. I'd put a picture of Esau. Morsel of meat, piece of bologna. Was it worth it? The question is for you and the question is for me. What will you give in exchange for your soul? Verse 38 says, Whosoever shall be ashamed of my words and me, I'll be ashamed of. That's probably part of exchanging the soul. My mind goes back to many years to a teenage boy who had just responded at an altar call. After a message on being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, and I remember what he said. He said, my family was on vacation just a few weeks ago, and we were in a big crowd. And he said, 
I did not want to identify with my family who appeared like a Christian and looked different. And he said he was, the Holy Spirit had spoke to him about that in his, in his softness as a teenager. He just wanted to confess it to the Lord. It was, it was, a, it was a sacred moment at the cross. Sad to say. Today, he does not identify, or he has left the identity in which he repented of being ashamed of. What will a man give in exchange for a soul? I'm going to, give, I'm going to put a picture in your mind as we close. Flip forward two pages. The picture is vivid. The picture, I believe, is very pertinent to our age. And I believe the picture has versatility. In other words, it can be used in, in, in many different ways. But in Mark chapter 10, we have a man in verse 17 that came, verse 17 of chapter 10, he was going forth into the way. There came one running and kneeling to him and asked him, Good master, what shall I do that I may have eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, Why callest me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Defraud not. De honor thy father and thy mother. Verse 20. And he answered and said unto him, Master, I have done all these. Sir, I observed from my youth. Jesus beholding him loved him. And he said to him, one thing thou lacks, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, thou shalt have treasure in heaven, come and take up the cross and follow me. And he was sad at the saying, and he went away grieved, for he had great possessions. I'm going to stop there, and I'm going to make a statement. And my statement is this, the man made an exchange that day for his soul. His exchange was riches. That's what he exchanged for his soul. I like the picture of him running to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. Somebody come running up to you and what are you, whatever you have to offer, I want it. He came running. And he didn't only come running, he came kneeling. He knelt. Remember I talked about that void? That inner witness that you will live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever? He had it. It was talking. And he came running. And he came kneeling. And he came asking. Sometimes I think that most of our problems is we have, we have too many answers and not enough questions. He had questions. He came, what, what, what do I do? So Jesus simply flips to the Ten Commandments. In my studies, I was looking up articles on exchange for the soul, and I came across an article that said, the top ten ways people exchange their soul. <laughs> That's going to be interesting. And you know what the article did? It just went through all the Ten Commandments. I just, very interesting, intriguing to me. That's exactly what Jesus did to him. But he started at commandment five. You know, there's ten. You know, one through four relate to God. 
So he knew that's where the, he knew he missed it. So he went right to, right to commandment number five. Well, maybe he did them in, no, I think he did them basically in order. No, he didn't. He didn't they're, not, they're not totally in order. But he went, he addressed commandment five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And the man looked at him, and, and I believe he was honest. I believe he really was. I believe you're looking at a very upright, honest young man who did things right. I think if you looked at him and the society said, good guy. But he had a void. He had a void that wasn't, he wasn't right with God. So, I did it all. And Jesus just loved him. It's almost like Jesus' heart just burst and splashed all over him. The love. And you know, love doesn't always just say what you want to hear. You know that loves, sometimes love is tough. If you love somebody, you've got to be tough. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. He said, here's what you lack. One thing. One thing you lack. This is interesting to me. I read it over and over and over and over and over again. One thing, but five things. You lack one thing, but here's five things. Ah, it certainly makes sense. One thing you lack, five, these five things will take care of it and prove the one thing. For him, for him, sell, give, come, take up the cross, follow me. Five things to do. If you do those five things, commandment one, commandment two, commandment three, commandment four are covered. That's my opinion. Commandment number one, no other gods. Commandment number two, uh, no, uh, no image. Make no other image. Commandment number three, uh, no other name. Don't take God's name in vain. And number four, my day. It's all you and God. He put his head down. He thought about the exchange. He said, no. And he exchanged his soul. He exchanged his soul. I wish you would have stuck around a couple more verses. Sometimes you got to put it blunt. And at the cross, it, it really, the tears flow. And it does, uh, you, you, sometimes you just see your cross. But you know what? The Christian life is not, uh, the Christian's life is, is a very joyful life. He should have hung around till, till verse 30. Verse 30, it says, and you will receive a hundredfold now in this time. Even a house, even a family, even land. With persecutions in the world, and in the world to come, eternal life. So, but you know, isn't that, isn't that ironic? He looked at the cost. He looked at his riches, his power, his rulership position, whatever it was. And he, nope, I won't do it. I'm not going there. I, I don't think it's worth it. He didn't say that, but that was the connotation. And he left sorrowful. And he made an exchange. Now, I know you, you can take every scripture and take it out of context. Okay? And I don't think, I don't know think it's fair to say that everybody has to sell everything they have. This man, it was his God. You know, when Paul was struck down at Damascus, do you know what his God was? His God wasn't money. His God was religion. 
read him in, read him in Philippians 3. Pharisee, check. Hebrew, check. Benjamite, check. He, he was like, he was proud of who he was. And he had, and he was hanging on to it. And he wasn't going to let go. And God made him. He left go. For him, it was his status quo, his religion. I don't know. I don't know what you hang on to, what I hang on to, but I know there's people hang on to riches. They do. I know people hang on to religion. They do. Their confidence is in that. Power. Some people hang on to illicit sex. Some people hang on to pornography. And they just can't let go. Some people are so upset about something that happened to them. And they're angry and they're bitter and they can't talk to somebody. And they can't let it go. And they'll make an exchange. They will. It'll eat and eat. It's called the root of bitterness that many will be defiled. It could be sports. It could be screen time. For many, it's Hollywood. Many, I say, many, I say weeping. I say it weeping, brothers. I say it weeping, sisters. Many, it's Hollywood. They know. They know it's not edifying. They know. But they can't let go. They just can't. So I solemnly and earnestly ask myself, and I'm willing, and I'm, and I'm asking you, what would you give in exchange for your soul? Let's count the cost. Let's realize what Jesus really did say about following him. And this is not about me judging you or me judging the church. This is about Jesus' words judging me. The worth of my soul, I just hope that that alone, if, if that sinks in, it's enough. The worth of my soul. And solemnly, what would a man give in exchange for a soul? What would you give in exchange for your soul? Hebrews says we believe to the saving of the soul. Do you have that kind of faith? Do you have that kind of belief? I don't know if I should give an invitation. It's very, very, uh, I know the Lord was speaking to me and I know the Lord was speaking to you. I would hate to have someone here that has, God has really spoken to and you had a very soft time in your life if you're here this morning and God did speak to you, let's do one verse of just as I am. Let's sing it very prayerfully. Come forward if you'd like to pray with somebody. And you know, there's another thing that people hang on to. Some people have something in their past that they know they should talk to somebody about sometime. They've talked to God many, many times, but they just know that it would be better to just to pray with somebody about. And Maybe that could be you this morning. Just come while we say one verse of just as I am. Somebody will be right by your side to pray with you. And it's all about our soul. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the text. Thank you for your word.
Thank you for your spirit. These moments are yours. We're yours. We're bought with a price. And maybe there's someone here that maybe even for the first time wants to give their life to you as they contemplated eternity and the worth of their soul. Take these moments, be jealous over them, rebuke Satan and his power. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Let's do one verse of Just As I Am and just come forward and somebody will be right by your side if you would like to pray with someone. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the blessing it was to be together. Thank you so much for the redemption and the price that you paid for our souls. God, put a jealousy in our hearts that we would make no foolish decisions or no foolish, foolish exchanges. And, and Lord, help us to see the worth of others' souls as we go about this week and our lives and help us to be a blessing. Dismiss us with your blessing. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.